Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Fitch's Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's James Longston. I'm the Global Head of Bank Ratings at Fitch. Today, I'm joined by Chris Wolfe, Head of Bank Ratings for North America, to discuss recent events in the US banking sector following the high-profile closure last month by the US authorities of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the wind-down and voluntary liquidation of a third bank, Silvergate Bank. Chris, let's first step back to early March, which witnessed the second largest bank closure in US history after Washington Mutual, that of Silicon Valley Bank. Could you perhaps summarise some of the high-level emerging risks that you had identified for US banks as we moved into 2023, but also then pinpoint what it was that acted as the catalyst for Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate and Signature to fail just so quickly? James, sure. I think it makes sense to, to step back and understand how we got here. Let me get to the, the first part of your question about some of the high-level risks we were pointing to. In November, we changed our outlook on the U.S. banking sector to what we call deteriorating from neutral. What this meant was the U.S. banks would be facing a more challenging operating environment, and key rating factors such as asset quality and earnings and profitability would likely look less favorable compared to 2022. Specifically, our deteriorating outlook was grounded mainly in the tightening of financial conditions by the Fed and what they would likely mean for credit performance and deposit flows, betas, and stability, which ultimately feeds through earnings and capital. So to get to the second part of your question, uh, how we got here, I think it's helpful to take a step back. Um, In my opinion, while most of the headlines have been on SVB, the real catalyst for what we recently witnessed was Silvergate Bank. And for those that are less familiar with this bank, Silvergate specialized in holdings of U.S. dollar deposits of cryptocurrency exchanges, and these deposits represented upwards of 90% of its deposits. In the wake of the troubles at FTX in early November and then its bankruptcy filing in mid-November, Silvergate experienced a bank run, something we haven't seen since the global financial crisis. And this came to light in early January when Silvergate reported that its deposits dropped by over 70%, Um, between the third quarter and fourth quarter of 22, as crypto exchanges pulled funds from Silvergate. In order to withstand the run, Silvergate was forced to sell securities for a loss due to the climate interest rates. Basically, it purchased lower-yielding securities, which had now declined in value given the Fed's moves. While Silvergate had very high-quality liquid securities, the fact that it had to sell securities on both its available-for-sale and held-to-maturity portfolios for a loss really caught many investors' attention, including ourselves. While Silvergate was able to tap other sources of funding, such as the Fed for Home Loan Banks, the sale and large loss focused many observers on the fact that banks had securities that were in unrealized loss positions. And under U.S. bank regulatory accounting standards, banks like SVB and others could exclude unrealized losses from regulatory capital ratios, so regulatory risk-based capital ratios looked good, while tangible common equity ratios were painting a different story for some banks. In the case of SVB, its unrealized losses in its securities portfolio approximated its shareholders' equity at year-end. So my opinion, Silvergate was the real catalyst here, which then caught up other banks such as SVB. Well, thank you, Chris. So deposit outflows and rising deposit betas were items you had flagged as risk to watch for in banks' liquidities profiles and margins for the year. 
How have these actually tracked this year against your expectations? And what metrics have you been paying particular attention to as you monitor your portfolio? Generally, and I would stress generally, I would say that liquidity profiles are behaving as we had anticipated. And that deposit betas are catching up and we have seen outflows of deposits into other higher yielding investments, such as money market funds, although maybe on a more accelerated pace than what we had envisioned a few months ago. But as we consider what was happening to some banks, we felt it was important to get a read on daily deposit flows across our rated portfolio, which very much informed us how individual banks were faring as well as how that compared to what we saw at an industry level. What also struck us was how the mix of insured versus uninsured really mattered. And I think it's important to note that not all uninsured deposits are the same. So we did not witness uninsured depositors running unilaterally across the industry, but rather more selectively and quickly at some banks. For the banks that were most affected, they did have higher proportions of uninsured deposits, but critically, they also had concentrated depositor bases. In the case of SBB, one depositor claims to have had over $50 billion at the bank, which in and of itself would have created a liquidity squeeze on this institution. So regardless of whether we're talking about loans or deposits, one thing is always true. Concentrations kill. Well, thank you, Chris. I think it's also uh, important to give us a sense of perspective because the bank failures have certainly created an enormous amount of noise on both sides of the Atlantic and indeed around the world. But that does not necessarily translate into a large volume of rating actions. So what rating actions have we, Fitch, taken to date? And conversely, to what extent have rating actions not been necessary? And, and why indeed is this? Our rating actions have been very concentrated in a handful of banks. To level set, we did not rate SVB, therefore there was no action on our part. We did downgrade Citra Bank to default uh, following its placement into receivership by the FDIC. We also downgraded First Republic first to double B and then to single B, uh, where it remains on rating watch negative. We also placed PacWest Bank Corp and Western Alliance on rating watch negative. PacWest has publicly provided some color on its deposit flows in the wake of SVB and signature collapses, which were high, but less than what was experienced by those names and, and First Republic. So, the, so that amounts to a handful of rating actions across our portfolio of around 70 U.S. banks. Again, going back to our initial daily monitoring at deposit flows, most other banks were experiencing more modest outflows, which we pegged at under 1% for the industry generally. One thing to also point out is that banks were generally fairly liquid prior to these events, so by and large, they face us from a, a position of relative strength. Okay, well, let's now bring things up to date. It's been a little over three weeks since um, uh, SVB's demise. How do you assess the state of play in the U.S. banking system today, and what potential flashpoints could there still be? It appears as if the significant volatility which took hold initially has ebbed uh, following various monetary support mechanisms, such as the Federal Reserve's Bank Term Loan Program Facility, um, and that's eased some, uh, some of the pressures banks are facing. With that said, I think many eyes are still on First Republic and what happens next there, and, and that could affect investor and depositor sentiment for U.S. banks. Also, as we've seen, contagion effects are not necessarily confined to national borders. So there could be events elsewhere which could weigh on investor and depositor confidence in banks in the U.S. and vice versa. So banking is and always has been a confidence game. Indeed. Well, thank you. And uh, finally, Chris, I'm going to now ask you to look into your crystal ball. 
So what do you see as the medium and even longer term consequences of the events in March from an industry and industry regulation perspective? James, let me start with regulation as it's hard to see how the status quo prevails. Um, just the other day, the administration recommended a number of changes be implemented in terms of bank regulation, namely lowering the threshold where banks would be subject to stricter standards, such as capital and liquidity stress testing, and improving the resolvability of these banks. Much of this can be achieved by regulators who can alter the rules which tailored or even exempted uh, banks from certain Basel standards. So for example, some of the stress testing requirements could come back into effect. I would also expect regulators to put greater emphasis on liquidity management beyond the U.S. Uh, GSIPs. Bank interest rate risk management will get heightened regulatory attention, and we should anticipate more matters requiring attention, or MRAs, or matters requiring immediate attention, uh, MRIAs, for U.S. banks in light of uh, recent events. I also think there'll be more fundamental changes as a result. Even, even prior to events, we had assumed credit conditions would tighten, which would likely restrain economic growth. Also, rising interest rates typically help banks, but to a point, and we're probably past that point, such that additional rate increases will not be beneficial to banks. What that means is there will be further pressures on bank performance going forward, which in turn, turn could lead to more consolidation across the small and mid-sized uh, bank space in the U.S. Large bank M&A, however, um, is off the table. Okay, well, thank you very much, Chris, for your insights, and thank you all for listening. For more information on our ratings and our research on U.S. banks, please visit www.fitchratings.com. And we very much hope you will join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.